0: Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's so good to see everybody here this morning in the house of God. Uh, Could I ask the the pulpit to come on up? Thank you. As you turn to Matthew 2, look at your neighbor and say, are you a wise guy? Are you a wise guy? You know, as we look at the scriptures, we see some wise men. Wise guy. You a wise guy? Somebody say, I'm a wise person. Amen. Thank you, sir. We're going to be gender inclusive today. You can be a wise woman and a wise man. But as we look to the scriptures, we hear the story about wise men. Matthew chapter two. Thank you, children. Thank you, youth. You guys did amazing. So proud of you. Thank you, families, for coming out today. Matthew chapter two, verse one, talks about the wise men coming to visit Jesus. How many have heard this story before? It's one of the famous stories of Jesus' birth. I would like to encourage you with this story that you and I would see how real these folks were, that they were God-seekers, and that we would be the same in this generation, that we would be wise men or women that are seeking after God. And the beauty of the new covenant, because they were there in the old covenant as it was coming into the new covenant, the beauty of the covenant that we live in with God is that everyone who seeks shall find. Everyone who asks shall be given, and everyone that knocks on the door of God, uh, the door of that relationship, it will be open to them. How many are seeking today Jesus, and you're finding him? How many are asking for a relationship with him, and you have found him there to speak with you? And how many of you have knocked at his door, and he has opened and invited you in, and you've sh- supped with him? You've had a relationship. Amen. So that's the good news. Let's get into it, though, and look back at these uh, men's story. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, a few things that I want you to notice here in this text is that they are called magi. That's the correct word. Over time, we've begin to use that word as in wise men, but the correct Greek word that also will go back to the Hebrew is magi and that's short for magicians. Everybody go ooh. David Copperfield showing up here. Chris Angel coming to hang out with Jesus. Well, the reason why angel, or or rather um, magi, has been used as wise men over the years is because these guys were both and. They worked in the realm of the superstitious, and they also worked in the realm of science. And so they weren't one or the other. They were both and. And so when we hear the word magician, we think of someone just superstitious or someone doing some kind of tricks. But that's not what they were back then. They were the ones who studied the stars. The, the shift of the planets, they were the ones who understood what was going on in their culture. And so I can understand why the King James translators would want to put wise men there to help the reader understand these were not people just doing hocus pocus. But at the same time, to make them out to be just those who were into the science is not correct. They were also into the realm of the supernatural. And I think that this is an encouragement for us today that naturalism is a false religious belief. Naturalism is not the way to do science. In other words, when you come into the laboratory, to just assume everything is the way that it is because of natural causes will limit the way that you do science. I don't believe that we need to insert what would be called the God of the gaps into everything we don't understand. Well, we don't understand the cell. Why is that? God did it. We don't understand why a dolphin makes these noises. God did it. I don't think entering in God of the gaps everywhere is helpful either, but I think a good both-and relationship would help us in science today. Because how many know from nothing, nothing comes? So just to start off there, we should insert God there and go, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a great place to be spiritual and to understand the, the components of a scripture like the Bible. And then how did he do it? What mechanisms did he use? Now, somebody might say it's the Big Bang. Our question back to them is who banged it, right, and what banged? And so that's where we can insert God and say, okay, God is the first uncaused cause, but how did he bang it? Was it over millions and billions of years that it happened in a moment? And I think those are great discussions for Christians to have, though I am a, uh, you know, a young earth creationist and I feel like the science is on our side. But I want to be honest with you that oftentimes we look at the world today and people with naturalistic understanding seem to have taken over the discussion of science Don't let them do that. Young people, those who are interested in science, be the best scientists by uh, giving God the glory and the, um, the, the passion for all that you do. How many want to do something great for God even if it's not science? Amen. Seek God and his creation and all that you do. As a matter of fact, when we look to the scientific revolution and those who were the the greatest leaders in that, from Kepler to Francis Bacon, and not the kinds you eat, but one of the scientists named Francis Bacon as well, and he was a developer of the scientific method, as well as as Sir Isaac Newton. They were all Christians, Bible-believing Christians. Now, Sir Isaac Newton went off a little bit in his Christian belief at one point but we know that he still was a believer of the Bible, wrote more about the Bible and the the teachings of Scripture than he did about physics. How many know we need wise men in the sciences again? How about in technology? We need to add wise men there again. I actually appreciate Google. If you look them up, you can see Google talks. Google will actually bring in various religious leaders into their company because they know that there's something special about the heart of someone seeking after God in that realm. They don't want a godless engineer, in other words. Now, I can't speak for them and what background that they have, the founders there, what motivated them to do that, but you can look at Google Talks, and you can even see some of the Christians that we would admire being welcomed there to preach the gospel almost like as if it was a chapel. I believe all businesses need that. Now, in a society of plurality, how, how much do we mix with the other religions? I think that's according to the owners. But I have no problem presenting my Christian faith in the world of ideas, because I know my Christian faith is right and will win every time. How many of you are, are, are like that? Would you be intimidated to present to your company today the Christian faith if there was five other people from different religions there? I wouldn't be intimidated at all. Now, once again, if you're now assuming that all of these are the same, I would be very clear and say we are not the same. I would say I am not the same as the Muslim. I am not the same as the Jew who doesn't have Christ. I am not the same as the Buddha, the Buddhist, the Hindu, etc. But I would have no problem today or tomorrow, say Monday, if they invited me downtown to speak at one of the top companies that we have represented in Chicago to preach the gospel. Not intimidated at all because I believe facts and faith work together. Amen. Let's talk about Muhammad. Where is he buried? Okay. Let's talk about all your favorite gurus and all the Vedas that they wrote. Let's talk about where they're buried. Here's a fact. My Jesus is alive. Amen. He rose from the dead on the third day, ascended to heaven. How do you like that, my friend? Okay. Assalamu alaikum. I'm bringing you some peace and good news today. So a lot of times people are intimidated by Christianity being brought up in the, into the world of ideas. We should not. See, these magi were in the world of ideas. They were students of the superstition and students of science. And I love how if you watch Marvel, you can get spiritual lessons. When, when they meet Thor and they go to Thor's world and they see all that they would think is magic, he says, in our world, what you call magic is technology. Uh, what we call technology, you call magic. And it was also a philosopher that said, if we saw such advanced technology, we wouldn't know the difference between that and magic. I think a lot about these things and how it will be on the kingdom of God on earth when he rules and reigns. I think that t- technology b- will be used to glorify God. God sometimes people think when the kingdom of God comes and we rule and reign with Christ we go back to a garden state living with fig trees half naked and just walking around in some utopia I don't believe that's what the thousand year reign of Christ is like I believe the thousand year Christ the reign with Christ on this earth we will be using all of the technologies that are here and then some all for the glory of God I think it's going to be a fascinating world stick around it's going to get good amen as it is on, in heaven, as it will be on earth, as it is in heaven on earth. And I believe that God is going to give us all that wisdom for a reason. Now, after the thousand-year reign, which we call the new heavens and the new earth, what do I think that's like? I think that might be a little bit like Avatar living on Nauvoo with some different types of creatures that we rule over. That's what makes me weird as a pastor. Somebody's shaking their head like, yeah, I'm following you, pastor. Because we won't be necessarily ruling over each other. And then the angels, I think, will get bored ruling over them. And I don't think there's another human race. I think that's where aliens come in. They're less than us and not, you know, not on our same intelligent level. But I think we're going to rule and reign over different civilizations in our virtual worlds or our actual worlds. I know you didn't think about hearing that on the Christmas message, but that's how weird I get, okay? But going back to this, the Magi, they were thinkers. I, I think I would have fit in with the Magi. I would have been having conversations with them. But most of us, when we read through this, we don't understand them. We just think they're wise men. We don't understand that they also worked in the realm of the religious understandings of different cultures. And then another thing that we miss right here is why do these wise men care about a Jewish Messiah? And where is the East that they're coming from? Our best guess is that they're coming from Babylon, Persia, the areas where the Jewish people had once been taken into captivity. How many remember the captivity of, of Israel and, and Judah? Does anybody remember that? How many know those are young people going to grab a seat? How many know the preacher's still preaching? <laughs> now, when you're done doing that, go back up here. Everybody listen to me. How many remember there was a captivity during the time of Israel's history? How many know there was a captivity when Jerusalem was sacked? Where were those people taken? Where were they taken, students? Babylon. Then Babylon was conquered by the Medes and Persians. Have you ever looked at a Bible map? They're in your Bibles. I see many of you have them there. Which direction is Babylon from Jerusalem? To the east, my brother, to the east. They were taken east. So why do these magicians who dabble in science and also in religion, why do they care about a Jewish star? Why do they care about a Jewish Messiah? Why are they even looking at this guy thinking about these things? Some of our best guesses I'll present in just a moment, but I wanted to get your interest first, and let's keep going. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, heard that there were magi from the east coming to Jerusalem looking for a Jewish Messiah. That bothered him. Why? Because he was a wicked king. When he heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him, most of them would probably be scared. This would be apocalyptic that judgment was coming. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. You see, this person wasn't even paying attention. That's why God blessed Trump and I pray he truly gets saved, but this is why I never believed he was saved because it was only convenient for him while he was in office to talk about religious things. No, Jack, you should have cared about Jesus at your first marriage. Are you listening to me? You should have cared about Jesus and a lot of the things that you were doing in life. Now is not the time to figure it out. Well, I'm glad that he did in some ways. Don't get me wrong. But I certainly don't put my stamp on him being born again, no more than Kamala Harris or President Biden. I think they're all going to hell without Christ. And I think they use religion as a means to an end. That was Herod, okay? Herod was a man that used religion to his means. Was he more like a Trump, a conservative, a sinner on his way to hell? Or was he like a Biden uh, liberal on his way to hell? I don't know, but I know he was on his way to hell and he didn't care much about the Jewish faith, though he was a king over Jerusalem and worked with them and helped build the temple and and remodel it so he was a builder in that way. And so when he hears about these magi talking about the king of the Jews coming, that bothers him. He thinks at this point he's going to lose control. And then he asks them a question that every Jew, and he was half Jew at this time, you know, in the history if we study about Herod, he asks, where is he going to be born? How many know if you're a Jew and you're caring about the Messiah, you should know where he's going to be born, right? But he's now asking these people, well, well tell me about these things. And they say, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We'll read that prophecy in just a moment. So he gets taught by these chief priests and these scribes, these leaders. Praise God. They're there to teach him that. Now look at verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the, time, uh, the exact time the star had appeared. Now at this, we don't know because uh, at this point we don't know when it appeared to them. It says afterward they begin to travel. So we would assume sometime afterward they see the star. And then what that's going to do is give them time to travel. How far east are they coming from? These lands that we were talking about had vast empires. So how far east are they coming from? Some say the traveling could have been as as little as 40 days. Some of it could have been months. We know, or, or upwards of years, we know that by the time... Herod wants to kill the children to avoid the Messiah taking his throne, that he says kill all the children two and under. So he was saying, uh, thinking probably to himself, uh, it could be somewhere even upwards of two years old. So when we think of the Magi coming to see Jesus, he's not a newborn babe. They're now living in a house in this area, and it's probably months, if not a year plus to when Jesus is born. So he wants to know the exact time. Then verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child so you guys go find him go do my dirty work for me as soon as you find him report to me so that I too may go and worship him somebody say he's a liar That's why I always think it's funny when politicians try to worship God out of their hypocrisy and out of their own, you know, uh, false motives. So I'm not falling for it. Don't you fall for it. I still believe we need to vote according to righteousness and the lesser of two evils. How many believe that's a good thing? How many know if somebody wants to abort children and someone else doesn't want to abort children, I'm going to side with those who don't want to abort children. Amen. And that's why I'm thankful that Trump appointed uh, people to the Supreme Court that now will hopefully judge correctly and put it down to the states and states can outlaw abortion. How many Want to see that happen in America, amen. Praise God. Verse 9 After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Verse 10 When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, see, now it's not a manger. Does everybody understand that? Somebody say a house, it's not a manger. That's how we know that this is uh, not only because of the time that has passed because of the, the, the time of them getting to start to the travel, but now we know they're in a different location coming to the house. They're not in the major anymore. Uh, and it's cute that people make those figurines where they're all around there together, the wise men, the magi with the shepherds, but that's not uh, what's happening, my friends, in history. On, the, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Praise God. How many are worshiping Jesus today? Amen. Some uh, like to acknowledge that word can simply also mean pay honor or homage, but it can also mean worship. I take it as they worshiped him, okay? Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is where the tradition comes from that there was three wise men because there was three gifts. This is where, or the naming of three kinds of gifts. Another tradition says there was 12. We don't know how many there were, but we don't uh, need to know because it doesn't matter. What matters is, is that they were there and they gave him a lot of wealth. This is where now people who are on one side of the aisle, the prosperity preachers, like to remind everybody that this stuff is not cheap. How many know gold is not cheap? And frankincense and and myrrh in that time was actually more expensive than gold. They had medicinal purposes as well as religious purposes. And so at this time, the prosperity preacher likes to remind everybody, that Jesus was rich now at this point I think they go too far because we don't know how much gold he got how many of you have some gold right now but you're not necessarily rich So you could have gold but not necessarily be rich. You might have some incense and some valuable things, but you might not be rich. At the same time, he wasn't broke. Sometimes people like to make Jesus out like he was broke. Jesus was not broke. Sometimes people say Jesus was like a homeless person. Jesus was not like that. When Jesus says that the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, what that meant is he was not traveling to people's homes looking for a reception of a king or of somebody special. He was traveling in the wilderness almost like campers. Or some would say glamping, depending on how his style was. He was traveling in the wilderness and wasn't concerned about his hotel stay. But that meant nothing of his wealth. How many know you can camp and still have wealth? So there's one side that want to make Jesus out to be he's broke. And then there's another side that want to make him out to be he's rich. I don't know where he was financially. I don't know how long this wealth lasted. But I know he was given wealth. Some people estimate it could have been in the thousands. And then that thousands is what was used to escape to Egypt and to live there. Just as another side note, sometimes people try to make Jesus out to be an illegal immigrant because he went to Egypt. Very uh, incorrect on that. Jesus was not an illegal immigrant. Nothing against illegal immigrants. We want you to uh, follow the law, and we will help you. We'll do what's best for you, and uh, we won't report you to La Migra, so you are welcome here. But Jesus was not an illegal immigrant. Northern Egypt belonged to the Roman Empire, and so they were traveling along the empire and where they could travel. But what we see is that that money was probably used for that trip. So at the very least, it was probably what we would consider in our day, a few thousand dollars. And then that was used for their trip and for their stay in Egypt and to come back. But it could have been upwards of millions of dollars to not only sustain that trip, but their lifestyle from that point forward. God only knows, but he was blessed with these significant gifts. And then verse 12, and having been warned in a dream, talking about the Magi, not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Can somebody say? Amen. Amen. Let's learn about them and apply it to our lives. Going back to the top, why did these wise men or magi care about a star? Open up your scriptures to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. As you're turning there, I want to give you my best guess. It is not something that I can prove 100%, but I can give you a best guess to who I think these folks were. I think these magi were the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of Daniel and the wise men in Babylon. Somebody go, hmm. Think about it just for a moment. We'll get into it more depth in just a second, but just think about this for a moment. Daniel's in Babylon. Daniel becomes over all of the magicians and the magi, does he not? He becomes the leader of them. They begin to see that he follows God. Don't you think that these men who made it their life's ambition to study science and religion and see how they work together, don't you think they would have learned from Daniel Don't you think there would have been at some point they walked over to Daniel and said, who are you praying to that you you love so much you were willing to go to a lion's den over? How many know they would have talked to him? Wise men would have got around there. They studied not only the cultures that they were familiar with, but the ones they were learning and getting familiarized with. The Jewish culture was something new to them at that time of Daniel. I think by this time, which would be hundreds of years later, they had studied these scriptures. These were part of the scrolls that those wise men would have been looking at. And they probably would have been told by Daniel this scripture that was found in Numbers. Look at it. I see him. This was from a prophecy over Israel. It says, I see him. But not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Seth. How many think we should sing that next to Silent Night? That's a Christmas carol right there. And with the scepter, he'll beat everyone down. He'll crush their heads till they're dust. He'll take up the skulls of the people. I made it almost into a show tune, didn't I? I don't know why I went show tune on it, but maybe, you know, sing it a little bit softly, you know. He'll beat them with a scepter. A rod of iron, he will rule them all. He'll crush their foreheads. Sing that next to Silent Night, why don't you, right? That's, that's, that's a Christmas song right there, isn't it? How many believe that's a Christmas song? How many know why Herod got a little bit bothered when he heard Jesus was coming to town? Jesus was coming to town, not like Santa. Jesus coming down to crush some skulls, to break some necks, to whip them with a the rod of iron, to put his scepter on them. Read Psalm chapter 2. Oh, hallelujah. I love the Bible. I love just messing with you too. It is fun for me. And you just keep reading. He's going to conquer people. But there's two comings. They're going to miss it as a whole when it comes to the Jewish people. They're only seeing the first coming of the conquering. They're not seeing as the redemption, as the Lamb of God. The opening of the gates of heaven, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. What we would know as the age of the church. But now going back to our... Our best guess, imagine these people of the east, they're hanging out with Daniel. They see his courage. They see the friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they live for their God. Don't you think they would ask them about their prophecies, about what they believe in, about what they are staking their hope on? I mean, couldn't you imagine sitting down with Daniel and Daniel saying to his friends, hey, I serve a God that's going to come and rule over the nations. He has a scepter. It's going to rise out of Israel. He's going to crush the people. Don't you think that those people who were peers with Daniel would have remembered that there were some Jewish people that were willing to die for what they believed in and taught them that, and they would hand that down from generation to generation? Oh, but it gets even better than that. Going back to the notes, please. Remember that they're there. Because they believe a Messiah is going to come. But why or how would they know at this time? Why would they be looking and how would they know this is the star? Let's go to a chart. Everybody say there's a chart. Go on down to the chart, my brother. Does anybody remember this chart from the series that we did on the book of Revelation? Do you? Because Daniel not only taught them about the prophecies of the Messiah. Daniel also taught about the time of the Messiah. Somebody say Daniel 70 weeks. Amen. Now go up to Daniel chapter 9. I believe I have it there, Daniel chapter 9. This is Daniel now writing, verse 24 through 27. Daniel writes this out as a timeline to know when the Messiah would come. So not only did they have these prophecies that you could say are kind of vague, but now he gets specific to when this would happen, 70. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now look at verse 25. Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Now let's see if we can do better than when we first had this chart presented to us. Because I remember doing the math and it was really hard for a lot of us. Let's take our time. There are seven sevens. So we're just going to consider that seven. There will be seven sevens, and there will be 62 sevens. What is seven plus 62? Okay, I got it on the board. We're going to highlight it. We're all going to get this. We're going to highlight this. We're we're going to do the math, okay? We're going to do the math here because we want to respect and honor the Scriptures, right? And we're not going to be superstitious with it. We're just going to do the math that it asks us to do. We'll talk about what sevens are in a minute, but here is a pile of sevens, and there's seven of them in that pile. Here's another pile of sevens, and then there's, make sure I get it right, 62 sevens in that pile, okay? So if we have a pile of seven sevens and 62 sevens, how many sevens do we have? 69 sevens. Now, what do we believe those sevens are? We believe that they are years, So 7 times 7 is going to be 49 years to rebuild the temple. That happened. From the time Daniel got the word to when Ezra began to build the temple with Nehemiah, it took 49 years. Okay? Now, after that 49 years, there's going to be 62 times 7 years. Go to the chart, please, so I can see what that number is because now I'm multiplying. That gets a little hard for me. And that's going to be 434 years. Everybody get it? Now, if you put the 49 years together and you take some yarn and you put it on the corkboard over there and you put a tinfoil hat on your head, no, you take the 49 years here and you add them to the 434 years there, how many years do we get, class? 483, 483 years. Welcome to a Christmas service where you do math. You hear about presidents going to hell unless they repent. Abortion, don't abort baby Jesus, right? Pro-life. Now go back up to the notes. So this is the timeline. It will be be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in the times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, so the temple is going to be built in 49 sevens. Now after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. How many know if the anointed one is going to be put to death, that means at some point the anointed one had to be what? All right, class, we had one person get it. I wish I could give you a special Santa's candy cane gift for that. Let's go through this again. If the anointed one at some point is going to die, that assumes the anointed one at some point had to be what? Born. Born. Okay, everybody get it now. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Go back to the chart so we can all see this. After the 62 sevens, this is where the 62 sevens end because we had the, uh, the seven sevens. Here's the 62 sevens. Sometime after this, the anointed one will die. So that means he had to be what first? Born. Going back to the notes, please. He's going to be born. Then the Bible says, the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So if you remember, we kept the sevens in mind. There was 70 all to begin with, and then there was seven plus a 62. That's 69. We're left with one seven And we believe that's the seven of tribulation. That's the one that's coming. In the middle of the seven, midway through the tribulation, talking about the Antichrist, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. So if we're looking to the future, and the Antichrist, this world leader is going to make a peace covenant for seven years, and in the middle of it, break it and defile the temple. What must there be for him to defile the temple? What must there be? temple. You guys are getting good here. Now do you understand why we as Christians believe there's going to be another temple in Jerusalem? Because that plays into the last seven. Hallelujah. Help me, Jesus. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he'll set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Going back to the chart, these wise men were pretty smart, weren't they? Hmm. I'm talking to Bible class students right now, and some of you are still looking back and making sure we did the math right. These guys were pretty smart, weren't they? They looked at that ancient book written by a man that they thought was amazing and scholarly, and they began to plot the time of the anointed one's birth. When they began to plot that time, they said, well, if after this he's going to die, we need to start looking for him somewhere around here. And they generally, religious people, looked at a man's scholarly time beginning around 30. So they began to say somewhere in here before this ends, because he's going to die after this, and he's got to be around 30 to die as what we would think he's going to be born. Now we put the date. Somewhere around 3 B.C. is when he was born, and 27 A.D. when he starts his ministry. We go back and forth. Our modern calendar was the best guess at that time, the Gregorian calendar. We have better dates now. That's why it's weird when you say Jesus was born before Christ. Like, Jesus was born 3 B.C. I know it sounds weird, because technically, wouldn't that be zero? Does anybody get that? Let me just go slow. B.C. means what? Before Christ. We now put Jesus' date at a B.C., before Christ. So he's born before himself. Does that make sense? It doesn't. And the reason why that is, is because when they first made that calendar, they didn't have as precise information as we do now. And so we're honest as scholars going more precise, it would probably be three BC, which totally makes the BC sound silly when you put Jesus on it. So if we're going to be honest with the scholarship we have now, we should redo the calendar. And uh, what would that make us all three years younger or older? If, it go, if he was born in 3 BC and now we make that zero, what did that just do to our years? It's, it's not 2021. What is it? It's 224. Okay, thank you. So we would all be older then, in one sense, you know? If you can well, unless we all backed it up. Let's just keep preaching. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the math right now. I'm moving past the math. Now, when you look at this chart, they were pretty smart to figure this out, weren't they? But why is that? Let's go back to Daniel in Babylon. Let's take a few moments to look at. We have the scriptures up there, please. Look at these scriptures with Daniel. Keep going, good sir. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 19, reminding ourselves of who Daniel was. The king talked with him, and he found none equal to Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These were their Hebrew names. So they entered the king's service. And every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the who? Than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. I want this to be said about us in this culture. I want when your boss talks about you, I want him to say you're ten times better than the people around you. I want those of you who own businesses and are out pursuing your, your, your wealth and your desire to build something great in that business, I want every customer to say you're 10 times better than the competition. You see, Daniel was not somebody who was just spiritual into the Bible. Daniel was someone who knew the Bible so well that his spirituality could change the world he lived in. People have said, don't be so heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. I believe the proper way is to be so heavenly minded that you change the earth for good. Where are the modern day Daniels in our culture? Where are the modern day Daniels as doctors, 10 times better than the rest, finding the cure of cancer? Where are the modern day tech... Folks, in Silicon Valley, that are Christians that are going to beat everybody there in the metaverse and become the, uh, the best at what they do. How many want to see Christians be the best nurses, doctors, teachers? You ever heard of Harvard, Princeton, Yale? All started by Christians to be Christian schools. And all of us who do something in life should want to be like Daniel. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 27. Daniel replied because he was asked to do something that no one else could do to tell this dream. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Notice how they're all coupled together there. The wise man, the enchanter, the magician, the diviner. In that culture, they were all together. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed as the, are these Daniel told him about the world empires that were going to come. We're actually waiting for the last one, the revised Roman Empire. But Daniel prophesied the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans, and he prophesied what would be happening in these end times. When we went through the book of Revelation, we saw that there is more Daniel prophesied or Daniel quoted from his prophecies there than any other book. Daniel was so wise that we're still studying him today. Don't you think the people of that culture would have had enough wisdom to do so? I believe they did, or at least those people did. Look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom. This is now the queen talking to the son of Nebuchadnezzar. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Do you know who was in charge of the genome project in the United States? A Christian. Look it up. Francis Collins, a Christian, was in charge of the genome project. How many want to see Christians in charge of NASA? Come on, my flat earthers. How many want to see a Christian in charge of NASA and really convince you we went to the moon? Come on, somebody. How many want to see Christians in charge of the scientific departments of all these schools and universities? How many want to see Christians in charge of politics again? Not because we forced our way in. Notice the application to your life here. You might be saying, but they're persecuting me, Joe. How can I be like Daniel? They're persecuting me. Hello, Daniel was thrown in a lion's den. Talk about persecution. His friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were cast into a fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship a statue. They understood persecution, but God made them excellent and above their peers in all that they did. I know you would like me to reenact Joseph and the baby in a manger today, but I'm preaching at you to be a wise man who seeks after Jesus and goes to your job tomorrow and makes a difference for Jesus. Instead of you just singing the Christmas song and really giving God glory, which I think is great, give God glory and be a wise person that seeks Him in your industry. Bring the kingdom of God to wherever you go and give Him glory for your success. Why is it we're so intimidated in this world to stand up for what we believe in and to be excellent? We should do both. Those who preach the loudest for Jesus, those who stand up the most and have the most to say for Christ should also be on their job with the most solutions to the problems and the answers to what's going on in our culture and society. Until Jeff Bezos has to say, I want to learn from you. Until Mark Zuckerberg says, I want to hear from you. Until Oprah Winfrey says, I want to take lessons from you. Come on, stay-at-home moms. How many of you want to teach her about being a housewife and a mom today? Her number one audience was what? Wives and moms. What was she not? A wife or a mom? Hello, somebody. Same thing with Ellen. She's a wife, but not a real one, a fake one to another woman. And then what's her audience again? Wives and moms. Come on. Who's gonna take their place? And are we going to do it by force? Anytime someone thinks that we as Christians are going to do it by force, I always say the same force that you have a problem with is the same force I have a problem with. We're Protestants for a reason. The empire of Rome killed us too, Jack. We came away from even the king of England, who was one of the first Protestants. England broke away from Rome for their own political powers. But then we broke away from England, the kings and the priests, because there was no religious freedom there. Study how America was founded by so many of those seeking religious freedom. We're not here to do it by force. Persecute us even if you want, though I prefer you not to. But we're going to be wise men and women in this culture. In Jesus' name, can I hear an amen? Vinnie, would you come, please? The scriptures talk about us seeking God. Look with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I want someone to seek God in the stock market. I want someone to seek God over the cryptocurrencies and the exchange of digital finances. I want someone to seek God over robotics and technology. I want someone to bring Jesus today to every spear that we can possibly imagine. These wise men were not broke. Barefoot, backwoods rednecks they were the top of their class they were the best of the best and you know what they did they bowed their knees to Jesus and they gave Jesus their wealth I want to see Mark Zuckerberg bow down before Jesus and give him his wealth I want to see the nations bow down before Jesus and give them their wealth give Jesus their wealth Oftentimes, we in a church setting we see a lot of young adults we see a lot of young professionals people starting out and sometimes we start to despise the rich the successful and we say well maybe church isn't for them the bible even said it's hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven and that's true but we forget that that does not mean we neglect them or that we think less of them I want to see wise men in this culture come seek Jesus and the opportunities that I had, by God's grace, during this time of COVID, to meet some of the politicians, some liked us, some didn't. <laughs> to talk to business people, to be on news networks. I remember I was on a WGN radio show once, with a long-time um, DJ. You know, a long-time guy. I forgot his name now with other lawyers, and I'm thinking to myself, these guys have definitely got to be the guys who are smoking the cigars on the weekends at the lakefront. This is definitely that crowd I'm in right now, you know? Like, Joe, what do you think about this? I got lawyer so-and-so here. He's from so-and-so's law firm in practice, and we just want to ask you some questions, and I'm thinking, okay, don't fail me now, Jesus. I don't want to come across like, well, the Bible says in the Galatians chapter one, the Bible says, and I believe it. <laughs> oh, I believe it. I said, I got some facts here for you guys. Let's take a look at these facts. Some people don't know. I was one of the first ones to wear masks because I thought we were dealing with the bubonic plague. I was ready to die for Jesus, but I'm gonna wear a mask and try to stay the stay the curse on the land. Are you listening? So I said to them, let's look at the facts. It didn't turn out to be this, boom, 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 boom. And then after a while, you could hear these lawyers, lawyers on the interview go, what? Well, sounds pretty good. Makes sense. I get you. I get what you're coming from. Okay. Okay, you're invited to the country club this weekend. You didn't make a fool out of yourself. Now, sometimes they're going to think of us as garbage and fools and all that. As they said about Paul, he's the, he's the garbage of the world. But I'm not going to use that as an excuse to not be excellent I want when I sit down either with our enemies, frenemies, or those inquisiting of us, I want us to have answers for their questions. The Bible says, be prepared to give an apologia, an answer to those who question us about the hope that we have. I want to sit down with those who are skeptics and atheists, those on the History Channel, and say, look at the book of Daniel. Because one of two things you're going to do now, you're either going to deny that book or you're going to take serious those numbers. And one of the problems with them denying it, one thing we know for sure, everybody go, for sure. One of the things we know for sure is it's hundreds of years before Jesus. They argue about, is it 200 or 400 years? That's a discussion among the scholars. Some doubt whether or not it was written by Daniel. But let me ask you a question. Was Isaiah 53 written before Jesus or after by the archaeological records? Before. That's the lamb led to slaughter Jesus Christ. Did Daniel before or after Jesus write down these words or somebody in the name of Daniel? The time frame of the temple and the rulership and of the anointed one, it was before. Ask, and it will be given to you. So imagine being these wise people, and you're like, okay, we're studying the gods of the Persians. We're studying the gods of the Babylonians. We're studying the gods of the Romans. We're studying the gods of the Greeks. We're studying the gods of Africa, Queen of Sheba type stuff, right? We're studying the gods of India, and they had traveled there. They understood these things. But they said, man, there's just something about this Jewish one. We just can't get over the numbers here, man. These numbers are precise. Y'all start looking at the stars and see what you see up there. Start right about now and start looking at these stars because there was a promise of this ruler coming almost to the date and there was another promise that a star would tell us about that ruler. When those boys saw the star and it goes on and on to scholarship, was it a shooting comet? Was it a supernova? Or was it an angel? I don't care, baby. All I know is there was some wise men looking at the sky and they saw a star that was out of place and they looked at their records and they said, it looks like it's about the right time. It looks like this should be happening right here. Let's gather up our wealth and take a road trip they gathered up their wealth in their Hummers and their Range Rovers. Come on, somebody, in their Escalades with the caravan. Most scholars say, and they headed months into the desert to travel to a place that would be like the backwoods for them. And they said, "Man, we're looking for a king. We're looking for a king that was prophesied by our great 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 grandfather and his good friend Daniel." We're looking for that king. And when they found that king, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. And still to this day, wise men, from what I can hear, I don't know if the rumor is true, brother, but I hear still to this day, there's wise men and women looking to the signs of the time and looking for Jesus in their life and are willing to lay down all that they have and worship him. Are there still a group of wise people in Chicago in 2021 willing to look back at the script in the records to look for the signs of the time to know that these are the beginning of birth pains and to not look for his first coming as a baby in a manger but to look for his second coming as a ruling conquering king riding a horse willing to crush some skulls and to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth if you want to be wise for jesus would you stand up Give it up for the king of kings and somebody shall come, Lord Jesus. Woo! Come, Lord Jesus. Banded altar workers, would you come, please? As we're thinking about a baby in a manger, we should be thinking about the conquering king as well. Because he was, as surely as he was a baby in a manger, he's coming as a conquering king. As surely as he came the first time, right on schedule, he's coming the second time. And Jesus said, watch out for these signs when you hear about wars and rumors of wars, when you see plagues, when you see famines, and it's just like in the numbers prophecy. Oh, when you see a star, get ready. Well, come on, man. I look up, I see stars every night. But you're going to know when this star is different. Oh, there's always been wars. Oh, yeah, but you'll know it's different. It's going to be compounded one upon another, upon another. There's always been earthquakes. Yeah, but it's going to be happening at the same time of the wars. There's always been false teachers. Yeah, but it's going to be compounded. You're going to know the signs of the time. Now, sadly, Christians have taken that out of context and tried to find the date and the hour, which the Bible says not to do. But what we should know is the season. The season is upon us. I'm not talking about the season of Christmas. I'm talking about the season of Jesus' second coming. And so when he comes, I want him to find us doing the work that he's given us. And so I'm seeking him today. It's like, Lord, you haven't come today, so that means there's work for me to do today. You haven't come yet, Jesus, so it's still an opportunity for us to make the best kids channels on YouTube instead of these ones that are gross and disgusting. Are you guys listening to me? Come on, I watch some of these shows that even have ad-libs over them with my children. They're like making them in the Ukraine or something. I want to see this brother start making children videos that get 100 million subs. Are you listening? Who's going to take the gospel and bring it to that YouTube sphere? Who's going to take the gospel and bring it to the different spheres that we see every business represented here? On our streets in this city. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that as surely as you came the first time, you're coming the second time. And I pray like those wise men, we'll be ready. We'll be seeking. We'll be asking. Oh God, we'll be doing that which you've called us to do, knocking on the doors of opportunity. Right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus yet as your personal Lord and Savior, start right there. Ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins. Ask him right now to give you the meaning to what he's given you to do on this earth, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your family, your friends. Ask him to give you purpose. Say, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. I believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Give me a new life that pleases you. And all that I do, pray something like that right now and enter that relationship. In just a few moments, you can come up here if you're a new Christian. If you're just praying that for the first time, these brothers and sisters will be wise with you today to guide you. Others of us here who are already Christians, can we seek God right now in just a few moments of prayer before we leave? To be wise men and women, to be people of resource, to be those that have the ability to bring a generation closer to Christ. Because of what our testimony is. Of what God has done. Think about how people used to make fun of homeschooling. Then everybody became a homeschooler, right? I pray that Christians reinvent the educational system. Technology and in person. Think about how broken our families are. Who's going to be the godly husband, wife, mother, father. That's going to be a part of the example to this generation. Most children now are being raised in homes without their parents. Let's pray for God to use us to be wise fathers, mothers, husbands, wives. And now in everything that we do, God, use us for your glory so that we can give it to you. I want to give it to you, Jesus. It's my gift to you. Come on, think about it. He gives you this life to live for his glory, to give it back to him. All for his glory. All to Jesus. We sang that song, I Surrender. We'll end with it if that's okay in just a few moments. If you need prayer for any of the things that we talked about today or for something that's on your heart, we'd love to pray for you, but especially for those who want to start a relationship with Jesus or those who want to go all in and just want some guidance and prayer today. The Holy Spirit will lead you. A few moments right now before we go, if you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, being gifted in a way that the Bible says is our empowerment, Just raise up your hands and say, Fill me, Holy Spirit, overflowing. The Bible says that one of the gifts he gave after he left was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Read it in Acts 2. Father, Father, we pray right now that we will honor your Son, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his soon coming return. Jesus, let's sing this out in closing. If anyone wants to come for prayer, you can, and then we'll formally dismiss in just a moment. Thank you, band. Anyone need prayer for anything mentioned today? Come on up. I freely, I will ever love and trust him. Thank you, Jesus. I surrender everything to you, Jesus. My life for your glory. I surrender Come on, teenagers, a lot of young adults here today. Surrender your young years to Jesus, your youthful years. And then the rest of us as adults, give your retirement to Jesus, your retirement plans, your middle age years. Give them to Jesus. Would you do a great work in us, O oh God? For your glory. I surrender all, oh, I surrender all. all to thee, my I surrender Amen. I'm going to pray this prayer of dismissal. And those who still want to worship can hang out or get prayer. But just remember that he's the reason not only for this season, but for every season and the seasons to come the ages to come. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. May we seek him in all that we do as those wise men did. In his name we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said.